This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Roger Stone, and this is 77 WABC Radio, the crown jewel of AM radio. We told you why Henry Kissinger was a brilliant, duplicitous, temperamental, power-hungry, and strategic thinker. Uh, and, well, when you think about where he's going, I hope he has a, an asbestos jumpsuit. Joining us now uh, is uh, Barry Habib. Uh, Barry Habib is the CEO of MBS Highway. Uh, he is an American entrepreneur. Uh, he's also an Amazon best-selling author for his book, Money in the Streets. Uh, he is widely viewed as the country's foremost expert on mortgage uh, and the housing markets. Uh, he is widely credited with actually saving the mortgage industry in 2020 from margin calls due to actions by the Federal Reserve. Uh, his presentation to the Fed created stability at a critical time. Uh, Barry Habib has won three Crystal Ball Awards by Zillow and Pulsonomics for the most accurate real estate forecasts out of 150 economists in the United States. Uh, he was the 2019 Mortgage Professional of the Year. Uh, a, let's just say it. When it comes to the economy, he's the single smartest guy I know. Uh, and as James Carville famously said about Bill Clinton's campaign for president, certainly true in 2024, it's the economy, stupid. Barry Habib joins The Roger Stone Show now. Such a privilege to be with you, my friend. Hope everything is going wonderful in your world. And uh, I love the asbestos jumpsuit. <laughs> well, <laughs> Maybe crack up out loud. Well, I was a neutral uh, on Henry Kissinger. I saw both the good and the bad until he tried to seize power uh, by convincing Reagan to turn over foreign policy uh, to Ford. And then I saw the way he enriched himself uh, as an agent of the Chinese Communist Party in his uh, later years. Believe me, Henry Kissinger knows who Deep Throat was, and Deep Throat's leaks to the Washington Post brought down Richard Nixon. We're going to tell you that before the end of the show. Uh, but, uh, Barry, I want to focus uh, on the economy because uh, President Biden is out touting Bidenomics as if Bidenomics are a huge success. You heard this from Governor Gavin Newsom in the debate claiming uh, 14 million new jobs. And uh, it sounded like a campaign pamphlet, actually. Uh, let's look at the economy going forward. Uh, Barry, what's going to happen, for example, when it comes to inflation? Well, you know, I want to talk about inflation, but just to, to highlight what you had brought up with Gavin Newsom saying, and, and the Biden administration, of course, touts all of the jobs under their watch, which they take credit for. Remember, none of these jobs were created. These are simply putbacks from the jobs that had to be taken away because of because of COVID. So when you tell people that they can't work and they can't go to work and then they come back to work, those aren't jobs that are created. These are just putbacks from the jobs. And if you look at the, the number of employed, uh, we're, we're not anywhere near the type of growth rates that would be commensurate with an economy that we're humming along. In fact, uh, if we take a look at the job numbers in depth, they're, they're a mirage. 
you know, it's, they're done by the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but you may as well take the, the L out of it because they're just BS. And it's crazy because as the, as the public looks at the headlines, and quite frankly, many of the commentators, they don't dig deep. You know, there's a few highlights that, that we can talk about just briefly. But when you, when you look at the way that the job reports are constructed, it's, it's a Herculean effort. You know, we have 167 million people in the labor force. So they rely heavily on models. And what we can see is that if you look under the hood and you look at the faultiness of the models, there are ways to corroborate information to see is this, is this just smoke and mirrors or garbage? Is the government making this up as they go along? So, for example, the market trades on the headline, and of course, the um, the, the Biden administration, you know, takes a big victory lap when the numbers come out. Meanwhile, the bond market gets killed. The stock market may react to it, but nine out of the last ten job reports have been revised lower. So nobody looks at that, Roger, because that's like yesterday's newspaper. So the big ballyhooed number is just a farce. And it's actually 10 out of 10 in the private sector. So the private sector, every every report has been revised lower. Every single one this year, 10 out of the 10 reports that we have thus far received. We got one more coming out Friday. But if you take a deeper dive, if you see how many jobs were created by the government, it's amazing. They just put 52,000, 52,000, 52,000 for the last three months, you could tell that there is no way that these numbers are going to be exactly 52,000 job creations. They're just making it up as they go, and they're not even smart enough, or maybe they assume the American public is so dumb that they won't look deep and see. You know, They don't even go through. They're so brazen. They don't even say, well, let's make 149 and 153. and what. No, they just, they just throw a number in there and expect us to believe it. It is garbage now they can't they can't hide the unemployment rate because that's a survey where you actually call people and these people that are being called we see the unemployment rate has now risen to 3.9 percent now while that is still a low number it would have been higher except that last month 200,000 people that were unemployed gave up so you don't count them anymore it would have been higher it would have been four percent or above now this is important because the low unemployment rate in the cycle was 3.4%. Every time we rise a half a percent above the low in the cycle, we are in, or I'm sorry, we are about to be in a recession. So I believe that a recession will be upon us in the next two, three months, maybe, maybe even sooner, maybe a month later, but certainly within that range. The thing of it is, is that they don't actually call the recession until a couple of quarters later. So it might be August that that is confirmed, but we may be within that recession. I believe that that's, that's upcoming, and that's, that's definitely here. Now, this Friday, when we get the job report, Roger, you know, I'll put a, a bold prediction, and I'll say you see a four on the unemployment rate. I think you'll see that, and I think the, the number that you'll get as far as job creations will be difficult for them to continue to hide, and it will be a lower number. So apologize for kind of going off on that tangent, but I will talk about inflation um, but 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 this is what we're looking at first of all in the job numbers, which is uh, really important. Take, correct me if I'm wrong. Also, the job numbers do not take into consideration those who have given up looking for a job. 
That's those correct. Are, that's take themselves correct. out of the out of the labor market, and therefore, uh, I'm not sure they really mean anything anyway. Uh, you know what? It is unreliable data at best, Roger. So we're being kind when we say it's unreliable data. And in addition to that, if you look at every Thursday, we get initial jobless claims. And the number that's really important is something called continuing claims. So it is possible that maybe employers are reluctant because, look, if you hire somebody, you pay a headhunter, or during the COVID years, it was tough to get employees. So they may be reluctant to let people go as quickly. But what we have found, if you look at since September, those that were continuing to receive unemployment benefits, that went from 1.6 million to 1.9 million. That is a dramatic rise in just two and a half months. That is that is you know extraordinary to see that type of an increase, which tells us that once people are let go, it is difficult for them to find work again. And, uh, you know, these are all signs that point to recession-like conditions. And I think that while it may not be officially called prior to the election, it is certainly something that consumers will be feeling prior to the election. I think the conditions economically get worse, and the timing of it will be right right before people, you know, are, are picking their candidate and seeing what, what, how they're going to to go about this. But the other one is inflation, Roger. And inflation is, uh, it's interesting because we have to look at inflation two ways. One way of looking at it is, and it's very important to view it this way too, is the rate of change. Now this is critical in how the Fed determines monetary policy, which affects all of us, interest rates, the cost of money, the cost of borrowing. So it's very important that we understand that the rate of change, but if you're a consumer, and you hear, oh, look, inflation's coming down. And, and it is coming down in the rate of change. Heck, it was 9%. And you and I spoke, and I, I'd mentioned to you, I said in June, I believe it gets to three. And wouldn't you know it, bingo, we hit three exactly in June. But while that sounds good, that it's, oh, look, it's 3%, that doesn't necessarily help people who are paying bills because while it's now 3%, it's 3% on top of the 20% that they have been subject to in the past three years. So that cumulative effect is what, what people are feeling the pain of. And those voters, the general public is, is, is feeling inflation while it's very possible that the Biden administration will be touting the fact that, oh, look, we've got inflation down to 3%. Now, now technically they're right in the rate of change, but, <laughs> It was the massive amount of spending. It was the exorbitant, the Biden budget buster that we did not need of $1.9 trillion. It is the, under the guise of, of the Inflation Reduction Act, which created inflation. It's all of these things that have made the consumer you know, feel very uncomfortable as they go to check out at stores and, and, and pay for necessities and you know, much higher cost to them, um, that the Fed then had to create more pain in the economy by saying, we've got to get this under control. And by the way, the Fed was totally complicit. You know, you had Jerome Powell in 2021, knowing that inflation was about to get out of control, keep interest rates at zero and quantitative easing going. So they put gasoline on Biden's inflation. And the reason was, was because 
Jerome Powell needed to be appointed again, and he wasn't going to start hiking rates at that point in time. So it is just it's an awful situation and consumers, unfortunately, are feeling the pain of it. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly two million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50 percent of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. So uh, let's talk about the role of the Fed, because the Fed will be looking at the inflation rate. Uh, Inflation seems to me very much like unemployment. Uh, It's the uh, amount of inflation is cumulative. What's already happened is not going away. Uh, So just a rate of change uh, is uh, is a change in additional inflation. Families uh, are still feeling it. Uh, But we have seen situations in the past in which the Fed uh, played uh, with rates to try to affect an election. Uh, Do you think that's what they're doing? It's hard to say. Um, You know, Jerome Powell does not owe any allegiance to Biden because remember that Biden wanted Leo Brainerd to be the Fed chair, but acquiesced to Jerome Powell. So I don't know what type of relationship they have, but the Fed will indeed be cutting rates. And I believe that the Fed will begin to cut rates likely at the May 1st meeting. Um, the, at the outside, the June 12th meeting will be the first rate cut, but there is a possibility that the Fed begins cutting rates March 20th, and I think it's a real possibility, like a, at least a 50-50, maybe better than 50-50 chance, because while the Fed's talking tough, as these numbers that they're not going to be able to hide anymore on the employment situation start to come into, into view, I think that the Fed's going to panic, that they've gone too far, too fast. But while interest rates is what everybody focuses on, Roger, the real key as far as consumers, people listening to this, how it will impact them, will be the Fed's balance sheet. So it's it's rarely talked about, but it's absolutely critical. So what did the Fed do? The Fed, they bought all these treasuries and mortgage-backed securities and they just put them on their balance sheet. So they never really had to have cash for them. They put them on their balance sheet. And by doing so, they bloated their balance sheet to at a high of $8.95 trillion. That's, that's it's, 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 and almost, you know, incomprehensible number. So they realized that that was too high. That at the time was 35% of GDP. So that was out of control. Now, since then, they have been allowing their balance sheet to run off. So how they do that is as treasuries and mortgage-backed securities mature or get paid off, what the Fed was previously doing was reinvesting that amount to keep their balance sheet at those high levels. Well, once they started the runoff, now we've been seeing about $100 billion runoff, to be exact, $95 billion a month, or a little over a trillion dollars a year. And indeed, we've taken it from almost $9 trillion to let's call it $7.7 trillion right now. So they've been successful in bringing it down, but it's still too high. It's about 27 28% of GDP, and that's more than the Fed's comfort zone. I believe the Fed would be tolerant 
at around 25% of GDP. That's where the Fed's balance sheet was between the years of 2013 and 2018. So I think that they will cease the runoff probably shortly after they start cutting rates. So why would they do that? Because when you have this runoff, that's equivalent to tightening. So if the Fed's cutting rates and tightening with this runoff called QT, quantitative tightening, it's kind of like driving your car with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. It's counterintuitive, counterproductive. So I think they stop quantitative tightening and they start reinvesting this money back into the purchase of bonds and mortgage-backed securities. And for anybody that's listening, that's got a business that they're looking to borrow money, a home that they're looking to purchase, or perhaps taking a, a refinance to pay cash out on debts, this is going to be good news because this tells us that you're likely going to see once they start with quantitative, once they stop, pardon me, with quantitative tightening, you will see interest rates on the long side on you know, where people really borrow, car loans, things like that, start to come down. And, and think about it this way. We have to finance a $1.9 trillion deficit. In addition to that, you've got the Fed with another trillion dollars that they're pumping out there in, this, in, in the runoff from their balance sheet. So the market's got to absorb $3 trillion, and that's what's out there for, for absorption. If the Fed cuts back by a trillion, well, now you've eaten up a third of the available supply. It is highly likely that bond buying becomes much more in vogue. And when you buy bonds, when, when the investment community is a, a big buyer of long-ended bonds, it causes yields to decline rather significantly. So that could be very good news towards the middle of 2024 and third quarter of 2024. Uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, this is The Roger Stone Show, and we are interviewing Barry Habib, one of the country's leading entrepreneurs, a recognized expert in the mortgage and real estate industries. Uh, but he was also the lead producer and managing partner for Rock of Ages, the 27th longest running show in Broadway history. He also produced Chris Angel's Mind Freak at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas. When he worked in the mortgage sales industry himself, he personally originated over $2 billion in mortgages. Very honored to have Barry Habib with us. Uh, Barry, Social Security and the debt uh, two of the most important problems the country's facing. Politicians have no interest in touching this third rail uh, in American politics. So it seems to me they just keep kicking the can down the road. Problem is, the end of the road is getting a lot closer. Uh, and Social, Social Security expected to go bust within 10 years, which could create an immediate 23% mandatory reduction in benefits. Uh, since I'm now old enough to receive my Social Security benefits. This is very concerning to me. Uh, can this problem be fixed or at least meaningfully improved? And uh, do you have some ideas about that? You know, I do, Roger. And first of all, my compliments to you because you have laid it out absolutely perfectly. And I don't think a lot of people realize that there is a man if nothing is done, your benefits are going to be cut by 23%. And think about how many more people within the next 10 years 
will start to receive Social Security benefits. Certainly, a lot of the baby boomers will have become eligible. Um, if not all, will become eligible, and you'll have a lot of the Gen Xers that will become eligible or be receiving benefits. So these people vote. And to to kick this can down the road further, as you perfectly said, the road's getting narrower and shorter, I should say. Uh, so what can be done? Well, a politician's got to be able to level with the American public and explain to them what is happening and make some very hard decisions that, quite frankly, Roger, no one is going to like. No one is going to like. Now, I tell you, this is someone who loathes taxes, but there has to be compromises all over on this because otherwise it's going to be a, a very ugly situation and people are not going to be happy. So, for example, if you did this, and listen, I'm not advocating like I like taxes. I don't like taxes. But you have to buy time. You know, we, we have to remember that Franklin Delano Roosevelt created the greatest Ponzi scheme in history because what he did is he started to give people benefits, which obviously gave him votes, without ever paying into the system. If he would have just said, you've got, you're, you'll, you have to have paid into the system for 10 years, and then you could start getting benefits if you're eligible. But no, he started right away. So he created the ultimate Ponzi scheme. At the time, there were 35 workers for every person retired. Now there's two for every retired. So as you can see, the numbers don't balance out. He never contemplated people living longer, and people are going to continue to live longer. That's a good thing. But how do you continue to support these people? So we have to buy time. The first thing we have to do is we have to say, look, somehow we got to suck it up. And the only way you could buy time is to go with a 1% increase in payroll tax on the Social Security portion, not all the way up like Medicare, but on the Social Security portion that is borne half by the taxpayer, half by the employer. That is, I, I hate it because remember, it hits me both ways. It hits me as an employee, it hits me as an employer. Personally, I hate it, but we have to figure out a grown-up solution and talk about this in a grown-up way. That buys you time, but it doesn't fix the problem. How do you fix the problem? People are living longer. So you say, okay, if you're eligible and you're promised these benefits over the next five, seven years, pick a number, nothing changes for you. Because now we've bought the time with, with the 1% payroll tax. But beyond that, you've got to ex start extending out this retirement age. It's, it's currently a little under age 67. It'll hit 67. But you've got to get this thing up to 68, 69, 70 for people. And you can't do it immediately. You can't change it by three years right away. But you stage it. You say, okay, if you're retiring seven to 15 years from now, that's still a ways in the distance. Your retirement age goes up by six months. If you're going to be retiring 15 to 20 years from now, you could certainly afford you know, 18 months delay or a year delay. And you have to keep getting this out there till you hit about an age 70 to start receiving benefits. And then, you know, things, Roger, that are ridiculous, like um, workers who are here. I'll, I'll pick one for you. In, in the, the benefits, what you want to try and do is you want to try and uh, cover newly hired state and local workers. They're currently exempt from paying that tax. Why should they be exempt? Let's cover that. That starts to narrow the gap. There's little tweaks you could do. Maybe invest a portion in the stock market or rather than, than the way that it's being done now. These are small tweaks that could be managed correctly, and you can get Social Security, if not totally fixed, in much, much better shape 
and get that road that you have for an ultimate fix you know, 30 years, 40 years down the road, um, put us in a much, 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 much better position. But it means we have to have an adult conversation. I haven't seen one, one politician, not one, say, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do because of fear that they're going to lose votes. But we are two elections away, Roger, from this thing being bankrupt. Not bankrupt, I shouldn't say, but but in a position where there's a mandatory 23% reduction in benefits. We're two elections away. Uh, Barry, with about, uh, I don't know, a little more than three minutes left to uh, our conversation, what role does energy policy play in all of this? Uh, the Biden administration has denied all uh, drilling uh, or fracking permits for uh, oil or natural gas. That has uh, returned our reliance on foreign energy sources. We are no longer energy independent as we were under President Donald Trump. Uh, we've seen this at the gas pump. We now have to go on bended knee to either Venezuela or Saudi Arabia uh, or elsewhere for oil. What role does energy play uh, in uh, the state of the economy by the time we get to the 2024 election? It's an, it's an enormous participant. You got to remember that you know, Biden tapped into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and that was uh, really not designed to win the midterm election by, by, by when it was first created. It was designed for safety, but he exhausted it so that the Democrats could get the midterm election results that they did because people were screaming that they were paying five and six dollars for a gallon of gas. So that calmed people down, got him the votes that, that were got the the, the left, the votes that they needed, but it came at a dear cost. Now, we are reaching a point where oil prices are behaving themselves with WTI between 75 and 80, West Texas Intermediate is what that means, between 75 and $80 a barrel. And the reason for that isn't because of anything the Biden administration's done, it's because of slowing demand and it's slowing demand globally. Economic conditions are slowing and you see it. This is such a key factor in recession. You see this before recessions. But we need to do more drilling. It is true. People will say, oh, we are producing more barrels than we have in the past. Well, yes, but that's not because of the Biden administration. That's in spite of the Biden administration's efforts to curtail it. They can say whatever they want. If you speak to anyone in oil and gas, like I have, they will tell you that it is it is an uphill climb. And if you look at rig counts, rig counts are diminishing due to the fact that it is it is extraordinarily challenging with the regulations in place for them to do this successfully. If we got rig counts up, you know, I was I was at Don Jr.'s house last night and, and 45 showed up there. And one of the and he gave a short, short talk. And what he said was, we're going to drill, baby, drill. And, yeah, that's that's the right idea. You have to do that to become less reliant, Roger, and also to keep prices much more affordable for people. All right. I'm afraid we have to leave it there. Uh, Barry Habib, uh, to me, uh, one of the most credible economic analysts uh, with a specialty in the housing and mortgage market. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on The Roger thank Stone you, Roger. Show. Thank you, Roger. Thank you.